Good evening. As we talk about service tonight and serving, I'm reminded of the uh, little boy who decided that he was going to give his mother a bill for all the things that he had been doing. He was going to charge her a dollar for mowing the yard, a dollar for cleaning his room, a dollar for doing the dishes, a dollar for vacuuming, a dollar for doing his laundry. He said, Mom, you owe me five dollars. And she restrained from breaking his neck. (laughs) And she put five dollars down on the table with a little note next to it. And the note said, for carrying you for nine months, no charge. For staying up all night with you when you were sick, no charge. For working overtime so I could get you those football cleats, no charge. For hauling you around to all your activities, no charge. Total, zero dollars. Signed, Mom. Well, when the boy read the note, he gave his mom back the five dollars and said no charge. After he realized what all Mom had done for him, the only response was appreciation and realizing that she didn't really owe him anything because she had already given him so much. You know, Galatians 5.1, it says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. When we understand what Jesus did for free, then our only response should be to serve Him. You shouldn't have to be paid for everything that you do. And this goes back to what we talked about this morning. For all God has done for you, your natural response, your, your immediate reaction should be to serve. Notice what Peter writes. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter says, remember who you used to be. Remember who you were and remember who you are now. You used to be in darkness. You used to not be a people. You used to be a people who didn't receive mercy. But now, as a Christian, being in Christ, you are in the light. You have mercy. You are a people for his own possession. Such a drastic, monumental change should stir a person. Such a transformation should elicit a response. And that response, at least in part, should be service. But what are we talking about? When you hear the word serve or service, what is it that we mean? Like we said this morning, many times we think, well, it's something that I have to do, right? I'm a Christian, so therefore I have to do something. Some people look at serving or service from a selfish perspective and think, well, I'm going to do this so that I can claim a reward, so that people will think I'm a good person. Whatever it is, many people have many different ideas when it comes to service and how to define it. Serving is often perceived as something that is duty or obligation. And I'll be honest with you, I've been involved in some works of the church even that uh, I wasn't too excited about. Maybe you're the same way. But at the end of the day, we try to move in our perspective from obligation to salvation. The fact that we have been plucked from the fires of hell and therefore we show our appreciation, our gratitude by serving God. In order to properly define service, I think you have to properly define freedom. 
When we think of freedom, we think of rights and we think of privileges. Freedom inheres with it the idea of being set free from something. So we are free from bondage, free from captivity, free from the chains of whatever may be holding us back. Free to do as we please even. While the biblical view of freedom does include some of those things, the Bible paradoxically presents freedom as a form of slavery and vice versa. Here's the scriptural evidence. Romans 6.22, but now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. 1 Peter 2.16 reads, act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Romans 6.18, Paul writes, And having been freed from sin, you become or you became slaves of righteousness. You get the idea. It's this paradox that is presented in the New Testament that to be free means that I become a slave. There was a chimpanzee that was picked up by some soldiers in West Africa. They named it Washu. I don't know why. It must mean something. They gave the chimpanzee to two doctors who raised it as if it was a child in their home. After about four years, they turned it over to some researchers at Oklahoma University who taught this chimpanzee sign language. They figured this was going to be the first non-human to learn sign language. And so they taught the chimpanzee sign language. The chimpanzee could do sign language, but they learned very quickly that it was just mimicking it couldn't conceptualize what it was saying with its hands. And so after some time, they began working with her, and over and over again, working with Washu, they figured out, oh, she can conceptualize what she is saying. And so they gathered their team of scientists and researchers together, and they said, Washu is going to speak to us today. And for the first time, she can conceptualize, and so we're going to get what is from her heart. So sitting in a cage, safe and secure, she does some signs, and you know what she said? Let me out. <laughs> True story. Because even animals understand that freedom is best, right? Freedom is what we all desire. But we think of freedom as the ability to do whatever I want to do. But from a biblical perspective, that's not exactly true. We yearn for freedom and all the amenities that come with it. And we want our lives to matter. And thus, we value freedom and the choices and the decisions that we make. But the paradox of the Christian life is that God's children are freed from the slavery of sin in order to become slaves to Him. In other words, true freedom is found in slavery to Jesus Christ. Look with me at Romans chapter 6. And in Romans chapter 6, starting at verse 15, I want you to notice what Paul writes. He says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in terms, in human terms, because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification." 
For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, there are a few things that we need to get straight from the very beginning when we talk about freedom. First of all, you've heard me say it before, no one is truly free. And that is true. No one is truly free. No one ever, even who has had complete freedom, is really truly and utterly free. Paul comes right out and says this, you are either a slave to sin resulting in death or you're a slave to to, uh, righteousness and obedience. Either way, we are all serving something. But there's something else that we have to get straight when it comes to freedom as well. Freedom does not mean total independence. Paul says this also, having been freed from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. Christianity promises freedom, but it doesn't promise you complete independence. There are always boundaries to freedom. We live in a free country, but you are not free to do whatever you want to do, at least not without consequence. So there's always boundaries, there's always conditions, and the freedom to do whatever you want to do, guess what, always leads to sin. So the freedom to do whatever you want to do will always end up enslaving you again to sin. Everyone decides on a master. There is no such thing as unconditional independence, something that that Jesus talks about in John chapter 8 and verse 31 and following. He says, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. I want you to notice that little word, if. If you continue in my word. The Jews had political freedom in mind here. But Jesus, of course, is talking about spiritual freedom. The freedom that Jesus is speaking of is freedom from sin and death, but this freedom cannot be enjoyed apart from obedience to the master. And therefore, the freedom that is found in Christ constitutes a transfer of allegiance. That's what it is. When you become a child of God, there is a transfer of ownership. You are free, yet you're still enslaved, and that's the paradox that the Bible presents. But understand... The freest life you can live as a Christian is being enslaved to Christ, being a bondservant. Because as a slave to Christ, you are not second rate or second class. You know, Christ is not your dictator. He is not someone who is a ruthless taskmaster. But rather, he is also our friend. He's our master. We serve God who is our father. He loves us dearly, which is why he wants us to be slaves to him. It's a completely different concept than we often think of, right? When I was in high school, I had a coach who would probably be considered a really mean guy. It wasn't uncommon for him to grab you by the face mask and pull you close and yell and scream. You know, that, that's when, you know, that was before, you know, kids and parents got wimpy. You know, the coach would actually get in your face and, you know, he could, he could yell at you and that was okay. Um, and he, you know, spit would be flying from his mouth and, you know, one thing I didn't agree with is his language sometimes, but every now and then it wasn't exactly, you know, wholesome language. 
But he would yell and scream. He had demanded the best from you. And he demanded that you give it your all when you're out on the field. And if you messed up, you heard about it. You weren't going to get away with it. And you would think that there would be enough kids to say, you know what, we don't want to play for this guy. We don't want anything to do with this football team because of him. We don't want to play for him. But actually, it's quite the opposite. The kids loved him. I still do. Now he's retired, and he works at the community center in Paragould, Arkansas, and every time I go home, I stop by there and try to say hi because I adore Coach Carter. And you know why? Even though he was mean, even though he'd get in my face and yell and scream, you know why I still adore him? Because he loved me, and I had no doubt about that. No doubt. Even when he was fiercely yelling at me, I knew that he loved me. Off the field, he made no bones about the fact that he would do anything for you, anything. I firmly believe that he would help me in any way that he could because he loved me, and not just me, but all of his players. And you give a guy some leeway and you put up with some stuff when you know that they love you, right? So now imagine, imagine a God who is perfect. Imagine a God who never acts unquestionably, who is never unbecoming, a God who always, always has your best interest at heart, a God who protects, who sustains and provides always. Are you willing to run through a wall for him? We should be. We don't just serve because we are slaves and it comes with the territory. Again, this isn't about obligation. We serve because we love the master and because he loves us. He went first, right? Anyone who would sacrifice their son for me deserves every ounce of life and energy and service that I have within my bones, right? I'm a slave with a smile because of the master who I serve and what he has done for me. So there's a few things to get straight about freedom. There's also a couple of things to get straight when it comes to slavery as well. And first of all, from a biblical perspective, at least as we're talking about it tonight, from a Christian perspective, slavery is chosen. That's not how we think of slavery. Slavery evokes a very visceral response from us, and rightfully so, because it, it is a horrid, it, it occupies a horrid place in, in our American history, right? But chattel slavery is not what we're discussing here. Now, there are a couple of aspects, as we'll see, they're quite the same, but that is not what is being focused on here when we talk about a transfer of allegiance. Jesus invites us to become his slave. Who would ever do that, right? Who in their right mind would make the conscious decision to deny themselves, take up a cross, and follow after him, to, to consciously enslave themselves, to become another person's possession we often think of slavery as something that we're forced into, and rightfully so because of the history in our, in our culture and in our country, but, but not so when it comes to being a follower of Jesus. Christ doesn't force this. He calls us to deny ourselves, to readily choose slavery because it is the best life and it is our only hope, and so we choose it, and we choose it out of love, but with that choice comes conditions. You may choose slavery. But you always choose what kind of slave you want to be. There is, there is that aspect that kind of transfers over. We must give up our freedom to make selfish choices. We must give up our freedom to operate under our own authority. We give up self for the sake of Christ. Everything we do in word or deed, we do all in the name of the Lord. We also give up the freedom to serve ourselves. Paul said, do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit. We must be prepared to restrict our rights for the benefits of others. That is the nature of a bond slave, placing others and, and, and their 
feelings above our own. And lastly, having the heart of a bond slave means that you cannot outsource your responsibilities. Because inherent within discipleship is the concept of service. Disciple equals servant. Church member equals servant. Right? I mean, it's just inherent within the word, especially when you read through the description that we see in the New Testament. You know, here at the Oldham Lane Church of Christ, whether it be the elders or, you know, the, the preaching staff or whoever's occupying the pulpit, we constantly challenge our folks, you, to commit to service. And that's not because we have a lot to do and we want to make sure everybody has a job so that it can get done. We do that because mainly that's, that's the biblical model. Disciples were not saved to sit. You don't find that anywhere in Scripture. We all have a job to do, like we said this morning. You take up a towel. You take up the mission. That's what it means to be a child of God. Here's something else. Slavery is non-negotiable. This is not a negotiation. You remember the episode where Jesus encounters the rich young ruler? You remember that whole dialogue? You remember when Jesus encounters Nicodemus in John chapter 3? Remember when uh, he gave his I'm the bread of life sermon in John chapter 6? And do you remember in all of those episodes where he talked about negotiating the terms and he talked about how you know, we could come to a compromise on certain things when it comes to discipleship? No, you don't remember that because that's not how it happened, right? In fact, in John 6... With the rich young ruler, he let him walk away. He let them walk away because he had detailed the conditions. You can either abide by them or not, but this is not a part-time thing. This is not a compromise. This is not a negotiation. If you're going to follow me, this is the way it's going to be. You can walk away and you do that to your own detriment, but this is the way that it is. This is not something that is self-serving. This is not something that is consumer-minded. This is all about me. This is all about the bigger picture, and you have to understand that. In Daniel chapter 3, we find that King Nebuchadnezzar built an image of gold, and this was his personal pet project. And so he, he wanted the people to worship this image, and as you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to do so, and so they're going to be thrown in the fiery furnace and burned alive. And I want you to notice in verses 13 and 14 of Daniel 3 what it says. It says, Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I set up? Did you catch what Nebuchadnezzar said? He throws his gods into the discussion. That's interesting, isn't it? You ever thought about that? Now, we know he didn't respect his gods because he said in chapter 2, verse 47, surely your God is a God of gods and a Lord of, of kings and a revealer of mysteries. But if you're going to burn someone alive, it sounds a whole lot better to appeal to your gods than to your ego. And so he throws his gods into the discussion to justify his own selfish behavior. And I bring that up because when it comes to being a bond slave, you can't do that, obviously. You can't be self-serving. This is not about working this out into your favor, making this something that's about you at the end of it all, that, you know, God is in charge, but I'm going to really be in charge, and I'm going to finagle this thing where I still get to come out on top. You know, I really believe that the Bible is encouraging. I believe it is uplifting. I believe it is motivating. However, 
one of the disturbing trends that I have noticed, and maybe it's just because I look at social media too much, but one of the disturbing trends that I've noticed is that so many folks, so many self-proclaimed Christians want to take the Bible and use it as a self-help book and turn it into bumper sticker theology or inspirational quotes. And sometimes it's not even scripture. That's just an idea about God or scripture that they're using. Maybe you've heard statements like these, keep going. Everything you need will come to you at the right moment. Yeah, except maybe it won't, right? And then what? If you saw the blessing coming, then you would understand the magnitude of the battle you're fighting. Hmm, okay. Sometimes we need to slow down so God's goodness and mercy can catch up with us. You know, statements like these are not all bad. In fact, some of them have some truth to them. But it portrays the idea that this is all about me and this is all about, you know, the consumer and the customer. And and God is just, you know, some cosmic genie that is there to look out for me and my best interest. And he is there to serve me when this is a slave-master relationship. And guess who you are in the thing? You're not the master. You're the slave. And the Bible is one continuous story about redemption. And especially when you get over into the New Testament, it is story after story or line after line about, hey, this may not all work out in your favor. And in fact, it's probably not going to. But guess what? You win in the end. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago with Jesus being meek. The message of the scriptures is not, hey, just hang in there. Slow down and let the blessing of God catch up to you because he's going to make everything okay. Maybe not in this life, guys. Maybe not. You know, it may seem like this life is a complete and total struggle to you. And all the inspirational sayings and quotes, it doesn't help. You know, we may pray and pray and pray for something to work out in our favor and it just may not. And our loved one may have cancer and be riddled with cancer and we are so upset and distraught and we pray and pray and and we believe that God is going to make a miracle happen and they die. That could happen. Instead of putting all our eggs in the basket of inspirational quotes and bumper sticker theology, we see the bigger picture, hopefully, and we understand that I'm a servant and I serve And I know that if I continue to wait patiently on the Lord and continue to serve Him and delight in Him, that someday everything that's wrong will be made right. Someday. Someday I'm going to win. So many things that we could talk about when it comes to service, but God does not exist to make you healthy and wealthy and problem-free. In fact, if anything, the Bible shows us that Even though we won't live problem-free lives if we live faithful, we have a glorious eternity waiting for us. Discipleship is about the one we follow. Christianity is a selfless religion. Jesus doesn't follow you. God is not amenable to us. So we must be careful not to reverse the order. Again, this is a master-slave relationship, and we need to know which one of those we are. If you've ever been to New York City, you know that there is, uh, on Ellis Island, this big statue that's kind of popular. You know what it is? Yeah, the Statue of Liberty. You've probably seen it in pictures if you hadn't seen it up close. The Statue of Liberty was a gift from Frederick Bartholdi, I think is how you pronounce his name, given to the U.S. as a gift from France. 
she is robed as a female representing Libertas, or the Roman goddess of freedom. And since her dedication in 1886, she has become an icon of freedom in the United States. Many people associate our freedom with the Statue of Liberty, but you know, as Christians, we have a Statue of Liberty too, don't we? If you want to call it that. You know what it is? It's a cross. It's the cross of Christ. You know, at the bottom of the Statue of Liberty, I'm told there is, a, there is some words etched there that say, Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless tempest tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. And as Christians, with our Statue of Liberty, the cross of Christ, we have some words that go along with it too, right? And they are these, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Greater than any freedom that we could ever enjoy here on earth is the freedom that is found in Jesus Christ. We are a blessed nation, not because we are a U.S. citizen, but because we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And you know what that makes us? It makes us free, but it also makes us bondservants. It makes us slaves to the one who gave us the freedom. We are free because we have been set free, but there has been a transfer of ownership that has occurred. And a natural response to all of that should be to get up and serve. You know, there's a, there's a fine line you walk as a preacher to try to challenge the congregation week in and week out, especially in terms of like service. There's a fine line you walk there. Because obviously you don't preach on certain subjects if you don't believe that they're important, you know, and maybe needed. But I will say this, we do a really good job here. We really do. I mean, this is a moving and growing and serving congregation. But the best time to preach on topics like these that are challenging is when they're going well, right? At least I think so. Thank you for serving. Thank you for being who you are. Now let's go be that in the world around us tomorrow and through this week, okay? If you have a need tonight that we can help you with, Dave's going to lead us in a song. Why don't you come as we stand and as we sing?